Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you are very welcome along to, yes, the first bonus episode of the Group Chat Podcast for season four. Uh, yes, it is coming a day after you had the main episode. That's how much we want to spoil you with content. Uh, I am news correspondent Zara King and I'm joined by my fellow news correspondent Richard Chambers. Hello, how's it going? Hello, and political correspondent Gavin Riley. Hello, everyone. Uh, a little bit like Dublin buses. You wait so long for a Group Chat episode and then two of them come along at once. <laughs> We are going to talk about uh, everything that's been unfolding at, at the State Broadcaster. Also very timely because it comes on the day that Patrick Keelty is kicking off his very first Late Late Show. And we'll talk a bit more about that uh, later on. I'm going to come to you first though, Richard, because uh, this week you've been covering the committee meeting and the revelations. What exactly, for anyone who's missed it this week, has happened? Yeah, I think what's happened this week is that there's been a shift in the political response to RTE. I think we've seen a little bit more unearthed and it's hard to understand how you can still have things to discover and learn about the largesse in RTE spending and yet we still are finding new bits of information coming to light. A lot of people might have seen that story during the week about a, a, a photographer being hired for the set of Fair City to take 12 photographs uh, for we- per, per week, uh, 20 hours a week contract, a 240,000 euro contract over four years, 60 grand um, per year. Kevin Backhurst, the new director general, the man tasked with clearing everything up in RTE, said he couldn't really understand it, uh, said that he wasn't over every hire. But if when you dig into everything that's even come to light now over the course of the week, driver's licenses not required for car allowances, just mad stuff like that. And people are rightly getting annoyed, both in terms of the staff in RTE, but the politicians as well who are like, Look, RTE is coming cap in hand for, you know, in excess of 50, potentially even 60 million euros, if not more. Um, and they have not cleaned up their act sufficiently, is the view from politicians. So it's going to be a difficult thing to actually get squared off in, in, in the end, how much money RTE is going to have to take from the public purse. But Gavin, it's a huge deficit, isn't it? And, you know, Kevin Backer is announcing this week things like a recruitment freeze, um, a, re- a freeze on, on, on buying things. I mean, I know somebody actually DM'd me yesterday, I forgot to say to both of you, asking me, I need to know if RTE got the remotes. Now, I did ask uh, one of the correspondents I was on the road with yesterday if they got the remotes and uh, they did confirm. I have one source on that that they did get them and there was a bit of fanfare over it. But look, ultimately, Gav, there is a lot of... Um, money missing essentially and a big hole to fill how are they going to do that well this is a real big question because they're not just talking about the money that's going to be missing for this year they have to also start thinking about the money that's going to be missing for next year as well and that's like a really important thing to bear in mind because so much of the conversation around uh, the financial affairs of RTE and the amount of state aid they're going to need has sort of been looking at the situation for this year for 2023 and even before this controversy RTE were already going to cap in hand uh, to the government and asking for around about 30 
30 million to try and bridge the gap between their incomings and their outgoings. But then since the controversy around Ryan Turbody's pay and all these resignations and all the, the fanfare that surrounded all of that, TV licence fee revenue is projected to be down around 21 million euro for this year alone. Now that brings you already over 50 million quid for 2023 and that's a pretty significant amount of money to need to go to the government to go cap in hand and go looking for. But the problems don't end on New Year's Eve. And this was a point that was made really clearly by Kevin Backhurst and by others at the Oireachtas Media Committee this week. They're saying it's it's not as if we get to New Year's Day and suddenly everyone starts paying the TV licence and then everything is hunky-dory. You're looking at a situation where next year, if the same percentage of people stop paying the TV licence, you're looking at RT's revenue maybe being down around 40% over like the whole year, like where you have literally almost losing about a million euro a week. So then you're already looking for another 50 million to get you over next year and potentially who knows what after that. So, you know, we've been talking about what the RT is going to go looking for in the budget just to get them through till Christmas. Really, we need to be talking about what's going to get them through to next Christmas. And that's really at the back of the government's mind because they know that when you add this year's bailout and next year's bailout together, you're going to be looking at a pretty hefty sum. And when we talk about the reasons why people haven't paid their TV licence, it's quite interesting in the sense that I was sent out to cover this back in July when it all started to begin to sort of unravel. And talking to people on the street and saying to them, look, you know, have you paid it? And if not, why why not? Um, a lot of people, to be very honest with you, will say it was one less thing to have to pay for and now I have a good reason not to pay for it. You know what I mean? That that's sort of the feedback that you get from people. That's an honest answer from people. You know, they're sort of saying, uh, particularly, I suppose, with the summer as well, maybe it's back to school time, households are under a lot of pressure or whatever, and that, that people sort of feel like they have a justifiable reason not to pay it. Um, like, is it going to take a rebrand, Richard, of this? Like, what? How do they just, do they need to remodel how we look at, uh, you know, funding for public service broadcasting? You know, like, what, what's being considered at the moment? Yeah, they probably are. Like, that's something which they've, you know, people in RTE talk about a lot, and some politicians who are quite sympathetic to RTE will say as well, it's like, well, we need to look at overall the funding model, and it's not fit for purpose, the TV licence revenue. But some politicians also pushing back on it and saying, well, look, you, you're making 160 million quid out of TV licence revenue. That's a, not an un, in, insignificant amount of money. Um, and it was working for you up until this point. Now that everything has gone... Um, I don't know how to politely say it, arse over elbow for RTE in terms of finances. Now they're complaining that everything is now, oh, we don't like the TV licence, it's not good enough, we need to look at our long-term funding. You can't trust organisations when they have shown massive financial mismanagement to be the ones to decide what their funding model should be, especially if they are funded by us, the taxpayer. So I think that there needs to be some level of, 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 of levelling off of that conversation because RTE just you can't set the terms of its own agenda, which is actually a big problem for the organisation because it does need to be independent in editorial decisions. It needs to be independent in setting its own agendas, but it it, it cannot at this point in time, based on what's actually happened in there, set out exactly what it needs and what it wants to be given. Uh, and that is why actually any mo- funding request from RTE to the government is going to be independently verified. And that's why the, what was going on at the Rockers Committee this week as well was particularly salient because you had Kevin Backhurst being asked about the prospect of, you know, what, might there be compulsory redundancies? Is RTE going to have to reduce its headcount? Bearing in mind around half of all of RTE spending is simply on personnel. And they were saying, well, we, we don't want to go down that route. We're going to have to try and cut everything else. You're going to cut services before you cut people. But A, of course, that means you're going to be cutting some services and we'll see before the end of the year what might have to go. But like he said a couple of things which really paint a, a really, really grim picture. So whatever about um, staff or compulsory redundancies. He was talking first about, you know, might there be voluntary redundancies? Norty doesn't want to go down that route either. But voluntary redundancies involve you having to pay off the staff a little bit more than you might do if it was just a compulsory layoff. And Kevin Backhurst said they don't have the money to do that. 
that if you're looking at a situation where you might have to pay off a staff member that might be their, their usual two weeks of pay for every year they've worked plus another bit on top of that or he doesn't have the money to pay them off like it doesn't even have the cash lump sums in hand to try and pay off some staff to make their overall overheads go away. And he was talking as well about like um, studios in the radio centre where the mixing boards are broken and they're just there effectively lying derelict because they can't afford to get the repairman in to fix the, the sound mixing boards for, for the national broadcaster. Like it's a re- just a, a horrendously grim state of affairs. And when you when you marry that with the idea of paying some tendered photographer 60 grand a year to take some snaps of um, stills of what's going on on Fair City, like or you've made a reasonable case for why they need to have those kind of stills. But at the same time, it, it's very, very difficult to really imagine to, or to really get your head around just how negative Ortiz cash flow is when you're looking at like not being able to repair sound studios in the national broadcaster. It's really, really grim. And what about the question of moving or selling off the land and, and sort of, you know, the idea of like taking another step and, and sort of, you know, brand new, basically, you know, Clean, wiping the slate clean, selling on what you have and starting afresh. I mean, just to kind of, I actually made a few phone calls this morning before we recorded this, just to ask some people in the more that end of the business, people who would be involved in, you know, the engineering end of the business and, and, and pulling together studios and asking them, you know, what do they think it would cost? And a conservative figure that came back is 100 million. And that's a conservative figure. And that 100 million would not include um buying a new site or even the construction cost. This is just like literally to kit out a new RTE. You're talking in the region of 100 million. And, you know, to put that into context you know if you look at say I worked at UTV Ireland which was a brand new channel a lot of people don't remember it anymore unfortunately uh, 10 years ago but that was the last new channel to be built in Ireland we'll say and that was nearly 10 years ago nine years ago now and the cost I remember at the time of that the investment there was around 10 million and that was for one studio and like Orti has something in the region of eight or more studios to, um, to sort of kit out and fund so like just looking at the money alone, it's going to be huge to try and fund a brand new RT. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do it, though. I think this is one of the things where it's, it's a popular thing for politicians to say, uh, to be the politician who said to RT, right, up sticks, move out of Montrose completely, lock, stock and barrel uh, and, and take it somewhere else. Like uh, Kieran Cannon at Galway TD says, well, you should move to Galway. Um, which is grand because it'll get a spin on the local radio stations in Galway and it'll get himself in the papers. And it's a fine thing to say. I think there actually is a good case to be made for moving some RTE services to places like Galway. And I think that's something that will be considered. But the idea of just moving everything out of Montrose, selling off the entire site as if this is a simple button to press and then everything is going to be fine in RTE doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like some politicians, the way they were talking about um, the land banks in Montrose, it's where they were talking about like, you know, selling off half the island. Um, like there is not, it, it is a huge site. It is a valuable site, but somebody described it as the most valuable land bank anywhere in Western Europe, which is pure and utter nonsense. And it is a fair thing to say that that is pure and utter nonsense. When you put in the cost, as you say, Zara, of derigging everything, pulling up all the wires and all that sort of stuff and upping sticks to somewhere where you're going to have to put them down again and you, that's not going to happen. So what is interesting is the fact that it does look like um, Kevin Backhurst did signal that they probably would, like, that, that he said effectively that doing nothing is not an option when it comes to the Montrose site. They are probably going to have to sell off some of it. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting exercise to see what exactly gets sold off there, what gets kept, what do they need to have in Montrose, what do they, you know, what can they move to elsewhere in the country or what can they move to a more city centre location as well? Because that's something that's been floated in the past too. 
Because, I, I mean, obviously we can see that, you know, for example, the Today Show comes from Cork, which is, you know, brilliant for the studio in Cork. But, like, let's be honest, how much money is being spent on paying for contributors to get the train down to Cork every day? Because, like, every day you see on social media somebody who is a contributor to the Today, to Today Show getting on the train to go to Cork. So the contributors are all coming from Dublin to, to Cork to do that. Now, listen, that's no bad thing in general, but I'm just saying how much is that costing as well? And, you know, in reality, you know, the idea of setting up RT and moving Donnybrook entirely down to Galway is not realistic when the government sits in Dublin when press conferences markings everything is happening you know in the capital city in Dublin so I mean of course to decentralize some of it would be brilliant and it would be very welcome I mean I'm sure you know my own home county Waterford would love to see you know more investment from the state broadcaster but in reality where you know the interviewees are and where the contributors are a lot of those people are based in Dublin aren't they Gavin? They are. And then you get to the real conclusion that you'd have to end up deciding that news and current affairs would have to stay based in Dublin no matter what. So then if you're selling Montrose, you have to go and find some other plot on land that you don't already own in which you have your news and current affairs working out of, which then almost becomes a false economy. You're selling land and selling a facility that you've already got, perhaps in Montrose, simply to go and buy or buy and build something else in Dublin city centre. And if you think, just think about the practicalities of if you were to move entirely out of Montrose, and there's been some speculation about how Kevin Backhurst may have been looking at another site somewhere in the greater Dublin area so that they could vacate Montrose and protectively or prospectively kit out their own greenfield site like that. But think about that you'd have to buy the brand new site first. You'd have to spend you know tens of millions buying a greenfield site or some plot in an industrial estate and then all the costs of kitting that out, all that upfront costs, but you basically need RTE NUA to be ready to go before you turn the lights off on the old place. And then only after you turn the lights off can you, you know, dismantle whatever else you don't need and then begin to start te- tearing down some buildings. There are, by the way, a lot of listed buildings on the current RTE campus in Montrose, just outside Donnybrook, which makes it very difficult then to redevelop because how do you build a new housing development, for example, if you've got the shell of the old radio centre that you're not allowed to tear down because of its archaeological uh, qualities. So you begin to realise very quickly that it would be a, a bit of a false economy. I mean, one, it was really, really notable yesterday after Kieran Cannon did his line about moving to Galway, the almost universal response that I got on Twitter was but sure you're never going to get a politician to get a taxi out to Galway for an interview well no one would expect them to go all the way to Galway but it does mean you need another footprint somewhere else in Dublin so if news and current affairs is the core of what RT is going to find itself doing after all this if that's the real public service broadcasting bit well if if all of that is still going to be in Montrose anyway then is there really a point in in selling off or downsizing It's, it's kind of hard to argue it's an interesting one. Where are we at, Richard, just in terms of the the refund that Tuberty had committed to, the money that he was going to give back? Is that back yet, or where are we at with that? Well, the, 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 the deal was, or the prospective deal was, that he'd give it back as part of returning to RTE. So now that he's not returning to RTE, it, RTE doesn't think it's getting that money back. I mean, Kevin Backhurst was, again, when he was speaking to the politicians yesterday, said he does believe there's a moral case for Ryan Tuberty uh, to pay the money back. Uh, still, even at this point. But there is a bit of a legal dispute uh, in the offing between Ryan Tuberty and RTE about the ending of his contracts. There has been legal correspondence exchanged between Ryan Tuberty's side and RTE. So all is not well there. Um, Kevin Backer is also saying, just sort of an, in, in an update on the personalities on this, he says, we does, look, he doesn't want to make this about personalities, but uh, he says he still won't negotiate with uh, Ryan Tuberty's agent, Noel Kelly. He says that anybody can have whatever representation they want. He's not freezing anybody out, but he's not going to negotiate directly with Noel Kelly himself. So some of the key personalities in this, um, you know, 
they're it's hard to see a way, way back at even at this point in time for you know the way things were done before all this you know kicked off i mean i know ryan tuberty's gone on his um tour of london um sort of you know putting himself in the shop window over there uh, and eating shake shack burgers and going to daunt bookshop which is a great bookshop by the way very very nice very very beautiful as he said himself um but uh, it, it is interesting to see that happen uh, so publicly i think is probably the, the 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 best way of describing it because often you know there's a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes with agents and um the old words talent uh, in terms of trying to find new gigs and new bits on the side and whatnot but it's very rare that you get to see that level of campaigning happen in real time on social media and the vespa arrived earlier in the week he shared a video of himself on the on the electric vespa that it was that you two gave it to him as his departure present He's been sharing a bit of a bit of content. Yeah, that was his going away present from Bono. Yeah, on on the last night. Uh, interestingly, although of course his initials are RT, uh, that's what's on the license plate, which makes it look very very like he's going around with a vest, but it still says RTE on the back, despite his his lack of association with them now. <laughs> But as we speak, tonight is the big night for Patrick Kilty and um, he has been speaking to journalists earlier this week and he did confirm in that doorstep that um, he did get a text from Ryan Tuberty wishing him the very best of luck and we can take a listen to that now. Uh, I got a little message from Ryan, wish me uh, good luck, which uh, I thought was very nice. Come on, I've thrown you a good bone there. <laughs> I got a good luck message. So uh, Patrick Keelty there saying he has had a text from Ryan Tuberty but giving uh, nothing else away about what was actually said in that exchange. Um, he also was asked in that presser about um, what emoji would describe his first show. And uh, that's a tough question to answer, I think, in fairness to him. Uh, he said, hopefully, in a smile, yeah, hopefully it had a laughing face, he said, and then a smiley face. Uh, what else was he asked? He was also asked about whether or not um, his family would be here with him and whether his kids would participate in the toy show. He said probably not about the kids being in the toy show. And uh, yeah, overall, he seems really excited, I think. You know, um, he was also asked as well about um, was he concerned about whether the actor's strike would affect um, booking guests for the, the show over the next little while? And yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. He said, look, um, they are hoping to really platform a lot of homegrown talent as well over the next little while so he didn't really anticipate that it would be such a such a thing and I think as well he was asked about you know um is he nervous about things going you know wrong tonight or whatever and he said he wants the tone of the show to be such that it's a bit looser that it's not as formulaic that if something goes wrong you roll with the punches you take it so I actually think it'll be interesting to see tonight the difference between his late late show and a Tuberty late late show because a Tuberty late late show was probably always a little bit polished wasn't it that it was always sort of you know it went from item to item in a more tight sort of polished kind of way I do think Patrick Keelty is going to bring a little bit of a looser more relaxed vibe to it certainly from what he was saying in the press conference this week yeah I think that's 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 a good point Zara I think I think the Ryan Tuberty Late Late Show very much followed in the footsteps of the two previous Late Late Shows that went before it in Pat Kenny and Gay Byrne and all credit to them for doing that in creating that institution and carrying on that pathway that the Late Late Show was on but what we've seen is this is a time of change you have somebody from outside the organisation for the first time coming in to host the flagship programme so you have to use the influence and the experience that Patrick Healty has gained elsewhere whether that's in the UK um, or or anywhere else, indeed, uh, as a result of his of his huge career to date. So that's that's the helpful thing. It's almost like, in a way, in, in terms of how the management of RTE should work now, because Kevin Backers has come in. I know he previously worked in RTE, but coming in from abroad, it makes it easier to make bigger changes. You know, you aren't 
fitting into the role which has already been well trodden before you you get the bit of leeway to do things slightly differently i know it's going to be a shorter late late show as well that is one of the things which is going to be interesting to watch about this series about whether or not that makes things a little bit more probably up the energy maybe almost you know that you have less time to worry about filling but you can just let things roll i'm very interested to see how this goes i've I, once his name came up initially when they were sort of, you know, all the names were being thrown out and it was a lot of people from RT who were super talented broadcasters came up. His was the wild card name and it was the one which always was the most interesting in what could potentially the, the Late Late Show could become. So I think there'll be a huge amount of eyeballs on it. Everyone's going to want to put their, their spin on how it's gone, whether you're tuberty sympathetic or you're anti-tuberty or you want Patrick Hilty to be amazing or whatnot. People are going to have their spin on it. So it's going to be interesting to see how it does play out. That's the new national civil war now, whether you're pro or anti-tuberty. That's the, 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 the true two genders. Um, I think the interesting point, though, about the, uh, the, the shorter show, because one would think if it's a shorter show and it still has the same number of ad breaks, then basically each part is slightly shorter. And that would in turn lead you to think that the usual habit would be to be more polished because you, you need to manage the running order so carefully. You're like, well, we need 30 seconds for that competition hit and we need to do 20 seconds for this, that and the other. And then suddenly you find yourself almost kind of running out of time. So it will be interesting to see just kind of how it goes. I think the change of tone or the change of approach that he's likely to bring to it, like it could never be more welcome than now, I think, because so much around the, the departure of, of Ryan Tuberty means that the old format will seem so clouded that really, in a way, the best thing to do would be to have a brand new show and borrow the name and maybe the owl, but have very little else in common uh, with the existing one. Um, but I do think that uh, he'll be great at it. And I remember saying at the time, and I think it's worth saying again, uh, I think he was almost unlucky in that he wasn't the first name that a lot of people recommended because he would have brought an, an awful lot of good things to it and he will be excellent and it's a shame that he might seem in some people's like like he might have been the fourth or fifth choice presenter because other people rule themselves out I think he deserves more than that I'd say he was probably in their thinking from very early on and I reckon that he'll he'll do a really really good job Zara what do you think about how he's managed this how, how do you how do you reckon about how he's managed the whole situation because like this has gone on for a long time now and all of it has been shrouded in that controversy it's a pretty tricky situation for him to find himself in oh it is it's a desperate situ- situation for him to find himself in but I think Patrick Keelty to his credit has handled himself with great dignity and has answered the questions that were put to him he was very quick to come out with the transparency on his pay at the time and you know even in the in the interview you know it was about a 15 minute doorstep he did with journalists during the week and you know even just to listen to it you know you can tell that um you know he's very open to taking questions he's not shying away from questions and also I think he's just really focused on the job at hand now I think he understands the challenges that lie ahead with RT but I also think that he knows that that's that's you know the responsibility of bosses and management at RT his gig is the late late show and it's his job to show up and entertain on a Friday night and ask you know the tough questions and entertain and I think he seems to be very much uh, committed to that Um, and you know I think it's just been kind of as you say guys probably a really good time for a changeover this, there's never probably been a better time for a changeover than there is right now and I'm interested I'm excited to see what Patrick Keach will do it's funny actually you know when we talk about you were saying there Gav about being polished and being loose and, and even hitting timings in television because there's obviously someone shouting in your ear that you're out of time I'm all too familiar with running out of time and speaking too fast to fill that time but um, you know I actually think that some of the most skillful broadcasters are actually the ones that make it seem like it's really loose and really fun because in reality you have to be under you have to have a lot of control over the situation for it to come across as being quite loose and relaxed and fun and you know for viewers at home actually it's important to know that that in itself making it feel very relaxed and fun is actually very much a skill um, in itself so before we go guys I suppose around the houses what happens next Richard what's the next step okay we talked about the Late Late Show but for RT and for, for you know committees and investigations and everything what happens next 
Well, we still have a few reports um, into our... Oh, hang on. Sorry, I muted myself there. I'm actually baking in a car here outside um, Virgin Media Studios. So uh, if I sound flustered, I am literally cooking in my car at this point in time. But uh, what's happening next is that we already know there's a number of interim reports into RTE uh, in terms of severance packages for people who left the company um, and in terms of Toy Show the Musical, that absolute white elephant and mega flop uh, which drove RTE finances into the red last year. Um, those reports are due to be released. Uh, also, you have to have, of course, the big thing is the big decision about how much money RTE is going to be given from the public purse. Um, we have ha had so many estimates of that. The first estimate before this controversy even kicked off the request for interim funding was over 30 million euros you could see that figure double you could see it more than double depending on how exactly they want to frame the timeline on um, what they need this money for uh, and it's just going to be very very interesting to see how staff react to what's being asked to them I know there's been a lot of anger from the unions M.O. Kelly in particular um, about the freeze on recruitment and the pause and discretionary spending so RTE is going to find itself under the spotlight for a long, long time to come. This is a, a controversy which has run all the way over the course of the summer. It's going to be at least somewhere in the public frame of mind for a long, long time to come. And just a final point. Final point, Zara, on, on what all that means for the government. The budget is now three and a half weeks away. And that's a really, really awkward time because don't forget the government itself has still organised and is still undertaking a couple of external reviews into RTE governance and culture. So they're not going to be due back until early next year and RTE would have to wait until after those reports are finished before it can really start to make some heavy movement is about, you know, how they're run and the way in which money is spent and who you put on senior management teams and all the like as well. So if they have to wait until the new year to do all of that, but they still have to do some kind of reforming or at least show some kind of new culture in advance of the budget to get the government's money. What are they going to do? And, and that's going to be really interesting to watch in the next couple of weeks. You know, we saw yesterday on Wednesday at the committee, Kevin Backhurst saying that he was sickened, for example, that the government wasn't told that the previous RT management had undone a 10% pay cut and that they'd given it back. You know, is that a culture thing? Is is cutting back on discretionary spending? Is, is that a culture thing? It'd be interesting to see exactly what Kevin Backhurst puts on the table to say we are a new RT and we're doing things differently. And whether that's enough to convince RTE that, or to convince the government uh, that RTE is worth its extra money, because those decisions are going to have to be made soon, even though the actual reports aren't going to be done for a few months yet. Okay, guys, thank you very much for joining us for this bonus episode, the first bonus episode of season four of the group chat. Don't forget to rate and review. We'd really appreciate if you left a comment. Uh, if you're particularly listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, write us a review, uh, rate us, tell a friend about it, send this episode to somebody that you know and uh, get sharing. And thanks so much for listening. We will be back again next week with another episode. But for now, thank you to political correspondent Gavin Riley. Thank you, Zara. And my fellow news correspondent, Richard Chambers. Farewell. Bye, guys. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.